I'm realizing more and more that there's a sort of a feedback cycle where you need to be constantly looking at where your revenue or your money is coming from and using that knowledge to support those parts of your businesses that are actually making money, which is not something, I hate to admit it, but something that I've only just started doing more recently. Welcome to Soul Traders, the podcast about creative work. I'm Amy Snookstra, a writer and digital strategist. Joining me is Bo Wong, a photographer who is about to jump on a plane, which seems just so bizarre in these times. It's so bizarre, especially while you are there. I'm talking to you and you're in lockdown, shuffling kids around. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. We've had a few false starts with this recording. Yeah. And it's like we're on different planets. Well, I think that is how it's felt from the beginning because, you know, last year we were in WA and all my family is over this side of the country and it does feel like sort of things are happening at two speeds. Anyway, but today we are celebrating a milestone and this sort of happened unnoticed. So it might have actually happened last month or something, but we've reached 10,000 downloads, which apparently, according to my reading, is is quite a big deal for a podcast. So we're so grateful and so happy about that. Yay. It is. It's really great. And also I was thinking, was it just Amy's mum downloading heaps of times? But I feel like even 10,000 downloads would be beyond her. You That's know? beyond Liz, I mean, maybe I'm it? underestimating yeah. her. I don't know. I, you know, she's pretty busy. <laughs> So she's got, she's got activities, she's groups, discussion groups. Mm -hmm. She's a news addict. So, you know, my number one news source. (laughs) Anyway, today we're doing something slightly different to mark this occasion. We are going to do a sort of Q and A with each other of questions that we get asked personally and professionally, our own FAQs. But before that, I wanted to ask you, Bo, what would you say your favourite moment of this podcast or favourite episode has been so far? Well, I have picked a favourite episode, but I realise that you weren't in it, so please don't take that personally. Um, <laughs> oh, <wait. laughs> I mean, it's all my favourite, obviously, but I found the interview with Kate Stokes of Coco Flip so wonderful. She's so articulate. I felt that she brought some you know, total sincerity to the table. And I've also seen so many Australian product designers come and go, really talented designers. And I find the design and production process of products totally fascinating because it's not something that I do because I'm in that service space. So just, you know, in relation to the fine balance between the handmade and the economy of scale, I just, I loved listening to her. So that was probably my fave. What about you? I agree. I think we've done some fantastic interviews for this podcast and I feel like I've learned so much. Like I definitely learned from you, Bo. It's like I'm I'm getting mentoring through this project from you and from these incredible people that we've interviewed. But outside of that, I think for me, I find it really interesting when we get a reaction or feedback on an episode that I'm not expecting. Remember that episode we did about the mistakes we've made in our careers. Yes. That was really funny, kind of terrible, like humiliating. But also I think, I think the response to that is really revealing because I think, I mean, really the whole tone of that episode was what we've, what we learned 
and that those mm. lessons really stick when when you've made a mistake and you've screwed up and so I think that was really interesting but also the episode that we did called resisting the call to grow earlier this season yeah. had a really strong yeah. response I think we really tapped yeah. into the zeitgeist with that one yeah and I think it just anything that relates to I think when you and I are both really riffing on something it's because we're both thinking about it and you know we're not the only people thinking about it and thinking about I guess this idea of resisting the call to grow is so much at the core of this podcast because you know we do want to grow and we do want to progress and we do want to develop but we don't necessarily need that to look like more employees or you know like trying to keep our responsibilities and freedoms in in balance. And, you know, that's not something that just, it, that's a dynamic thing. That's not something you get it right once and then it just st- stays like that. It's something that we are constantly working toward. So I do think that one, yeah, that resisting the call to grow was a good one, wasn't it? I loved that one as well, because I'm still having conversations with people about it. Yeah. So that's, it is a dynamic ongoing thing. Yes. And we've also got some other news aside from our 10,000 downloads, drum roll. We are organising our very first Soul Traders retreat. (laughs) So we're going to really lock down the details and we'll be, you know, as soon as possible, as soon as next week, revealing all the key information. But we just wanted to say that it's happening We'll be announcing it soon and probably the best way apart from, you know, subscribing and keeping up to date with our episodes of the podcast is to get onto our website and join our email list. Yeah, to be the first to hear about that. Great. I mean, I'm really excited about the retreat because it feels like such a natural progression because this podcast emerged from our workshops and then, you know, for us to loop back into our workshops but in this much more intensive and I guess a more developed sort of space, I'm, I'm so excited. It feels so good. Excellent. So, Bo, I'm going to shoot you the first question. Your number one question you get asked personally. The number one question I get asked personally is do you wear a wetsuit? and the answer is no and the other question is is the water cold and the answer is yes and do you swim in winter yes so I think that (laughs) quite clearly related to the swimming activities that I do when I'm home in Denmark and my favorite swimming spot is at Greens Pool but also the fact that you're very south Bo Yes, we are very south. I just have to ask about, I mean, I know I've asked you this before, but okay, so this is the number one question. I just want to know about the mind game that you must play each time you get in that water. Oh, yeah. So I I actually love that and I think it's sort of, so every time I go swimming, I, as my feet are sort of entering the water or even as I'm like driving there or walking down. Do you ever I'm just thinking, back right out? I've, I've never backed nope. out. But- I never want to do it. And it's one of those things where I'm, you know, I'm always like, oh, it's so cold. I can't do it. This is too hard. And then that second that I hit the water, it's like an absolute transformation. And anyone who does ocean swimming will tell you exactly the same thing. It's semi-religious slash spiritual. It's transformational. It 
it does something to you. It's completely addictive and, you know, and you could probably break that down and say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's in nature. So that's amazing. You're getting all that magnesium from the water. I also do it with friends. So, and, you know, with other swimmers who have become my friends. So you've got that social aspect. For you. Plus you're doing a physical exercise, like a, you know, you're doing fitness activity. So it's, it, it hits a lot of, like, if you were to break it down into general wellness targets, it's basically, you know, it hits everything in, you know, total spades. So anyway, I could riff on that for ages, but no one really wants to talk about well, swimming for no, too no, long. Look, but there's some, no, there's I, some metaphors there, I think as well, yeah, like for, there are. for, for all kinds of reasons. And I think, I think we have We've squeezed a lot of swimming water-based metaphors into this. That's podcast. true, actually. I do love a water <laughs> slash swimming Last metaphor. So, Eighteen yeah. months. Okay, so professionally, then, what is the question that you get asked well, the most? I think one of the most common questions for me is that people. I think they see those. I sometimes do Instagram posts from Greens Pool. So people assume, you know how people just sort of dip in and out and so they just assume I'm there all the time. The highlights reel. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I mean, <laughs> it is a highlights reel. I'm not showing like the bits where I'm just like folding all the washing and stuff because that's not as interesting. But I guess people don't realise, A, that Denmark is so far south and it's not in Margaret River and it's not near Margaret River, so that's one thing. And I do commute a lot to Perth which is five hours and it's it's a long drive. There's no doubt about that. But actually I look back now to when I lived in Perth and I was commuting from Fremantle into the middle of the city and I was an hour door to door, you know, nearly every day. So when I add up the amount of travel time, it's actually less that I do now. So that's kind of amazing. And I've also come to really love that long, often on that drive, I'm sometimes I listen to podcasts and stuff, but other times I just have nothing, like no music, no podcasts, and I just go into that full flow, long form thought. And I really enjoy that, those little breaks in my month. It's rare for all of us. Yeah, it is rare. Yeah. Yeah. And years ago in 2012, you know, sometimes you do those kind of blue sky thinking exercises where you don't think about, you know, how you might do things. You just think, what would I love to do? And I wrote, I had written on this piece of paper that I actually found quite a few years later. And it just said, it was a scrap of paper and just said, I want to work on amazing projects. And underneath that, it said, I want my kids to grow up in the bush connected to country. And so those things just seemed completely mutually exclusive. But, you know, time, past and now that's kind of what's happened. And yeah, so I guess really, and people also, I guess, wonder how the logistics of that work and the logistics are really big and I am super organized and my calendar is a really important part of my life because I do have to line things up in blocks. I'm not hugely spontaneous. I can't just randomly do this or do that. I've got a pretty you know, I've got a pretty tight schedule and I guess that's just part of, you know, fitting a lot of things in and I've got a lot of balls in the air. So I think the other thing is that people don't fully gauge what it's like being away from home when you're working. So I've got some friends who are touring musicians and they also have to do their work away from home. And so, you know, I think that's sort of something where, you know, we often have chats about that sort of stuff, about that transition between landing home, coming support. back into family life and stuff it's like that. It's quite unusual, I, I suppose. 
Yeah, and it's not like that sort of FIFO work because lots of people in Perth obviously work FIFO in Western Australia. That is fly in, fly out for anyone who's outside of It is, that's right. Everyone in WA knows what FIFO means. So when you're a freelancer, you know, you're not working for a company, you're in charge of all of your own logistics for accommodation, meals, calculating transit time, insurance permits, all that stuff. And for me, just knowing what gear I'm going to need for every shoot and and being able to think ahead. So a week ago, I dropped all of my camera gear off, all my studio kit with someone and I'll be, it's all being transferred into a hire car probably now. And then I'll fly up and I'll meet that hire car and then we'll drive straight to the shoot. So if I've forgotten something last week, like a battery charger or a cord, I'm completely rooted. So you're making me nervous. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I haven't forgotten anything. So there you go. Because I'm a bit of a systems person. So I know I've got everything in the kit. I know it's ready to go. And yeah. And you also want to be able to have fun on shoots. So you know, you can't have fun if you're worrying about, did I forget this? Did I forget that? So, you know, I just make sure that's all, all done. Yeah. And the other question I get is who looks after your kids? And the answer is I leave them in a car out the front of a casino. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, what about you, Amy? What do people ask you? The one I get the most often is about my, personally, is about my career change or my pivot although it was less of a pivot and more of a 360 degree turn. Yeah. <laughs> so I studied architecture and I had a short career in architecture, but I was I was pretty unhappy and unsatisfied. I did feel sort of trapped in it. I think it's one of those situations of escalating commitment that we talked about back in the episode about quitting oh, and yeah. why it can be great yeah. for your business. Because yeah. I felt like, I mean, it's a long degree and journey to get to registration, which I, I didn't get to registration, but the even just the study is five to six years, depending on where you do that study. Yeah, so I think it took me a lot longer than it really should have to see that writing was really a great thing for me to do and to focus on. And it's funny because everyone else could see it in me. And the reason I started doing marketing and communications and writing was because the architecture practices I worked for after I graduated kept assigning me these, these sort of tasks. Like I just kept, Mm. they, they saw it. It was a case of me not seeing what was literally right in front of my face. And, you know, now reflecting on it, I can see that I think a big part of that was that for me, writing is just so normal. It's something that I, I never really saw as as valuable or that I could do particularly well or that and a part of that is because I come from a family of writers. My mum was a speech writer for the federal government for most of her career and my sister's a published novelist with four books to her name. So it was so normalised in my family that I didn't see it as something I was good at or something that other people weren't good at or that people valued it. Mm. So it took me longer than it should have to get there. Yeah, but it's interesting to reflect. And look, you know, I think for anyone who's in a similar position at a sort of crossroads career-wise, I think you really need to do some deep reflection. And I think for that person it might be helpful to ask yourself things like what work or tasks, you know, that you do currently or in your free time, like hobbies or whatever, what Mm. things 
really light you up, what work really lights you up. When do you feel truly satisfied or proud of yourself when it comes to work? Like you, you know that you've done something really well and you get that real sense of satisfaction. Mm. And also ask the people around you, like friends or colleagues, what they think you're really good at and what your superpowers are both personally and professionally. That can be really revealing. If I'd done that, I would have saved myself a lot of time. But the other side of it is to consider what you actually want to spend your work days doing. And work is a big part of our life. It's like a third of our life that we spend for the average person working. And also what environment suits you best to work in and also who you want to work with. I think for me, those are the important things to consider. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting because you know, this idea of what lights you up. It's so interesting when you run your own business or you're just sort of, you end up sort of funneled somewhere somehow and you don't necessarily see that you've, and and we funnel ourselves as well. Absolutely. We put ourselves in boxes, you know, you can blame the world a little bit, but. <laughs> we don't even check kind of how or why that's happening mm, a lot of the time. Yeah. Mm, yeah. But actually, we all bring so much to our roles. Like I don't think, you know, like you are not only a writer, I am not only a photographer. I think it's just that thing of, you know, just trying to sort of broaden out those boxes and that sort of constant redefining and and it changes over time because sometimes, you know, there would have been a time when I would have just been absolutely over the moon for someone to have recognized me as a photographer. And now I'm at the point where time moves on and I'm like, you know what? That feels restrictive because I've got all this other stuff going on too. Yeah. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it's again, it's something. But you work so hard to get that recognition. I, know, I yeah, work so hard. <laughs> now I'm like, ah, I'm sick of that. And what about professionally? What do you get asked? I get asked the most about social media, even though it's only a small part of the work that I do with clients. Mm. But, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about that on this podcast. Aside from those questions, the number one question is probably how do you make money doing what you do? Oh, okay. That's interesting. <laughs> well, I think probably just people who are outside the sort of freelance or creative business community. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think they, they really can't see if they've got a sort of in inverted commas normal job with you know, a payroll department and, mm. you know, who look after their tax and, you know, they've got KPIs yeah. and then they've got managers and, you know, they can't really understand if they're not, if I'm not in a waged position, what that looks like. So the answer isn't straightforward. And I think I'm realizing more and more that there's a sort of a feedback cycle where you need to be constantly looking at where your revenue or your money is coming from and using that knowledge to support those parts of your business that are actually making money which is not something, it, I hate to admit it, but something that I've only just started doing more recently. It's actually thinking, mm. hang on, where is this, you know, and actually assigning more time to those parts, to strengthen those parts of my business and sort of always streamlining and simplifying. And But then, of course, I also have other priorities that are not monetary, so things that I want to pursue that I know strengthen my business in other ways like education. Yeah community and relationship building, things like that, and yeah. this podcast. Yeah. So in terms of revenue, I've got a mix of money-making bits to my business. At the moment I work in-house two days a week at a business. That's a regular thing and that's great from a community point of view. 
because I'm working in this really small team and it's a really energy giving part of my week because I'm a very extroverted person. Yeah. And then I've got client work as well, which is a small, but I guess steady part of my business. So it's just about like those moving pieces and keeping an eye on them and, and getting that balance right, I think. And I think for somebody who's in a substantive role, that's kind of hard to understand. Mm. But I like that complexity and the freedom that it offers. I think as well, something that I've come to and it's taken me some time is, you know, early on, I think I just agree to whatever, if someone came to me with something and I thought like, even at a stretch, I could achieve it. I would just say yes. So, you know, they'd say, can you do graphics for my email newsletter? I'd say, yes. Can you build me a website and source and write all the content? I'd say, yes, yes, yes. Mm. But as a business model, that just really doesn't work in the long term, particularly if you're a sole trader without a team of people. And I think this is for several reasons. Firstly, you don't really improve in terms of your skills in one particular area if you're trying to get across that really broad range of services and you can't streamline the client experience as much to make it really a really great delivery if you're offering all these different services and skills across loads of platforms and mm. software, it's too broad. You also limit your potential to become known for something. So in my case, you know, I would love people to say, oh, yeah, if you want words for your website, talk to Amy. Okay. Should I say, oh, yeah, if you want words for your website, talk to Amy. Yeah. So now someone said that. <laughs> Success. <laughs> yes. So I don't know. I think it's a lot of these things have taken me a long time and I've started to realize that, you know, it's a really slow journey if you're doing it by yourself. And I'm okay with that. I actually think it suits my general life view. I also think that you've done things where you, yeah, you would have built websites and you, I mean, I find it amazing that you learn to do all these things and you sort of self-taught yourself all this stuff. But I think it's also, you know, as the arc of your work, you know, moves along naturally, you realize, okay, well, I, I could learn how to do that thing, but I actually don't want to delve any further into that particular service. And it's not something I enjoy. And it's not something that I'm, I see myself, you know, becoming a master in that thing or whatever. And so with websites, I quickly worked out that coding is just not my bag and there's other people that really love it and I'm just not one of those people. I'm nerdy yeah. about other stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that's also something that, you know, that balance between in a natural evolution of your business that you follow your interests as well. And obviously, you know, I'm not interested in tax, for instance, but having said that, I have to, you know, keep doing it. But in other areas of my business, I can really just follow my interests. And that's one of the really nice things, I guess, about freelancing and having that, you know, I guess the freedom to do those things. And sometimes, you know, you don't necessarily, as that evolution happens, you don't always get paid for some of those things, but you do them because you're trying to add it to your portfolio. They are enriching. Because, yeah, they're really enriching. And I do think, and I was just having a chat with another designer today, and we were talking about why certain people employ certain other people and what sorts of things people are looking for and that intangible stuff because actually lots of people can write, lots of people can take good photos, lots of people can build websites. So what is the other stuff that's happening? Obviously you've got that personal, 
you know, rapport that you build with clients, but also that other, all the other creative stuff that people can perhaps see you doing that may not be paid or, you know, like that starts to feed in and then time goes on and then actually people want that creativity from you as part of your service. So then you start building it in and you start getting projects that are much more in your, you know, they're in the wheelhouse that you want to be in as opposed to that you used to be in. So I think, I mean, what you're saying, yeah, I think it makes so much sense for where you're at, but also, you know, I'm like more than 10 or 15 years further down the track and I'm still in that place. Like I'm still doing creative projects that I'm just, you know, feel driven and called to do and they'll somehow find a way to loop into my business somehow because the business is you know that's what generates my income and keeps everything ticking over and it's integrated and you're right it is complex but it does offer all that freedom so it's a yeah it's an interesting little bit of balancing stuff going on isn't it absolutely so kicking goals both Kicking goals. Did you kick any goals, Amy? This is a personal one, but hugely influences my work. My kids slept through the night last night and the night before. Both of them. Are you trying to jinx yourself? It's (laughs) never happened before. (laughs) Stop talking about it immediately, Amy. Oh, no. Oh, Oh, my God. I've done this before, haven't I? You have done this before. You wax lyrical about your kids sleeping through the night. They're terrible sleepers. They're terrible. It was an anomaly. It's never going to happen again. Yeah, never going to happen again. Let's move on. I've always. All right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've been doing a whole lot of work in the back end of my business, trying to lock down and streamline my processes and systems. It Mm. sounds really boring, but. Oh, man, it's the stuff of life though, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I keep hearing again and again, you know, from other business owners and the people that we've interviewed for the podcast, that it really makes or breaks a business, particularly in the first Mm. few years, which Mm. is the stage that I'm at. So, and I think that there's also an element of decision fatigue with this stuff. So, you know, if you're distracted by all these, the minutiae of how you deliver a project, I think if you've got these things locked down, you don't have to think so much about each step of the process. You just move down the checklist. So yeah, that's what I've been doing? What about you, Bo? Yeah. I mean, I have all the same conversations with the people I do mentorships with. You know, I'm like, I'm sorry to tell you, you are going to spend, you know, yes, this is boring stuff, but this is the stuff that it saves you so much trouble later on. You know, you spend extra time in that quoting space, extra time in that licensing agreements and terms of engagement and all that boring stuff. And it will just save yourself so many tears later on. My biggest goal kicked, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm always kicking lots of, I've got same, lots of back-end stuff going on. Recently, my avocado tree is just going mental and we are just eating guacamole like every oh, I'm day. I'm so jealous. And <laughs> I'm just extremely smug. So my avocado tree is right outside my office. So I actually like look out the window, stare at my avocados and I go in. They're just like little guacamole. green trophies, aren't they? They are. You basically yeah, smug trophies. so if you've enjoyed this episode please text the link to a friend it's the best way for new listeners to find us so thanks in advance for that 
You can also find us online at soultraders.net.au and on Instagram, we are Soul Traders Podcast. This podcast is recorded through the clouds across Manang and Wurundjeri lands. Talk to you next week, Amy. Talk soon, Beau.